Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Virginia, but I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, 
And my mother taught me to read when I was three. <laughs> okay. Um, and so maybe the, most of my life, she was always pushing me to do the things that she never got to do. She had a business, and she graduated college, but she felt that there were a lot of things that, like I do for kids in STEM, that there were a lot of things that were not shared with her, so she couldn't take advantage of the academic uh, potential that she had. Yes, yes, that's very true, very true. So, um, you know, so does that also, is that what um, fuels your passion for education? Well, actually, I could make you laugh. I started out in the fashion industry. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but it's a little difficult, the, the fashion industry, and it gets real boring. And so I was, I had, I had my college degree. So I taught school, and you know what? Children are fascinating. And the other thing is that having grown up with lots of boys and lots of kids who a lot of people perceive to be difficult, I didn't have any trouble with them. Okay. And I could do things with children that people said weren't able to do things. I mean, they would throw all kinds of kids at me, you know, mixed kids, Hispanic kids, black kids, and, and they all behaved. And so people didn't know what was wrong, but what was different was, first of all, I respected them. <clears throat> Second of all, I got to know who they were. A lot of people fill up kids' heads with knowledge, but they don't know who the kids are that they're teaching. They don't know who that child is. And so I guess I became totally fascinated by the fact that I could achieve success with kids who other people didn't have any way to reach. And so I started taking courses in gifted and talented because um, I found out that only 2% of black students are often uh, identified like that. And you know there's a um, the achievement gap by Jack Kemp Cook talks about how our children are bright and able and how as they move through the grades, their ability diminishes. Bonnie? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, I, I lost you for a moment. You're saying as okay. they move through the grades, their ability to the, their ability to learn diminishes and they fall off. And you okay. know, in Washington D.C. and in many cities around the United States, in Washington we have 59 percent dropout rate. 59 percent. Mm. That's criminal. Yes. With the kinds of tools and the resources that we have. The thing I like about being able to use technology is I, I had a hard time getting kids to go home. It would be seven o'clock and they would say, Can we can we can we play my mother's right out there, she brought you a sandwich. Can, can we play one more game? Can we do one more thing? And it wasn't play as we think of it. This was NASA Mars initiative. This was maybe NOAA or National Geographic kinds of things. These kids mm-hmm. were hooked on learning. And I think the thing about STEM, it it, it has always been around, but our children, a lot of our children can't read. So if you can't read and you haven't been properly instructed, you can't do any of the things. So they put you in like this track thing, and it gets worse because the people who teach the reading to the kids, often their programs are more boring than anything else. So those okay. kids say, okay, I'm stupid. Nobody, I can't, I don't know how to do anything. And every time the rest of the kids go off to a field trip or go some nice place, they don't get to go. 
because they have to go learn how to read. Well, there are programs that we could use that are digital programs and programs that aren't digital programs that could make reading interesting. But a lot of people don't know how to teach reading, and so that's the first key. Yeah. The the second thing is to get kids to use their imagination. See, I'm old. I remember when people would take a crate and make a skateboard and dress it all up and do things, but now kids think you have to buy everything. So I had some programs called ESS, those so the elementary school science, where we did things like uh, look at rocks, different color rocks. What, what, what's, how is this one different from another one? And I actually unglued them. And a lot of schools, the rocks are glued down to a little box. I got in a lot of trouble because I wanted kids to actually feel these specimens, to know whether they're soapy, slick, whatever. But science is not just reading. Science is doing and a lot of our kids never get to do science. Yes. So and then think about engineering. One of the most interesting projects we had in school was was to build a playground. Well, you know what? Kids play on the playground, but they probably never thought about, okay, you can design a playground. And we found funding, and it, it, it was it was really interesting because the parents were the ones who fought the most for different things, but we actually built a playground. But you don't have to build a playground. You can take a box of straws and pins and say, okay, here's a box of straws. Can you build something with this? Take these pins and see what you can make. I mean, it's not expensive to get kids started with STEM. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, as you know, NASA, National Geographic, all of these groups have citizen science where they will teach kids how to learn using either science and and technology or books. National Geographic is books of all kinds. But schools don't necessarily invest in the programs that are innovative and creative because for the most part right now we are teaching to the test. And when I say we, I'm not meaning me. But teachers who want to keep their jobs are being... Uh, strapped with having to reach a certain score. Well, if you go to the website of Office, the Office of Safe and Healthy Schools, you'll find that there are about 12 characteristics that make it quite difficult for children to learn. So a teacher in the classroom does have responsibility for teaching, but they can't they can't overcome all of the difficulties that children have. And what they need to have is some help from other people. Okay. So well, um, and one of the, the things. Okay, what what were you going to say? No, 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 no. You you continue. You continue. Well, if, if you look at the tragedy that happened in Connecticut, that yes. child was not served. Okay, there are mm-hmm. children that we have that are not served. They don't necessarily go around and shoot up people. They go to jail. Mm-hmm. They go from the the classroom to to jail. And mm-hmm. the reason is is because they are never they're never successful in anything. And you know, back in the day, your grandfather or your grandmother would tell you, "Well, okay, you can do industrial arts, or you can go to beauty school, or you can um, go to home ec." Well, a lot of those programs are gone. Mm-hmm. A lot of children have never done anything with their hands and just been in classrooms. And I had a friend whose name was Jack Taub. And what he would say, he said, you know what, when children are bad, they have 
this this thing where they say you have to go sit in the corner. He said, well, what is school? You sit in the corner all day. You don't move. You have to be quiet all the time. And so that's another thing. Culturally, sometimes people interpret our children as not being um, able to be to, to be able to behave in school. But sitting for six hours is a very long time for children, and that's not yeah. the way every child learns. Yeah, I feel a lot. I really do feel a lot. A lot of our school structures and learning systems are just extremely inferior. And, um, you know, the ones I've found to be more successful, like Montessori, you know, they're much more interactive. And not only do their learning excel, their behavior excel. Because it's not just about sitting down and learning your ABCs. It's how do you sit down? When you when you pick up a project, okay, how do you take it out? How do you put it back? You know, there's a method and a way that you do things, and honestly, there are higher expectations, but at the same time, there are more freedom. Absolutely. You know, they're not, you know, treated just as cattle. You sit here, do this, do this, do this. They're actually taught how to think, and um, which makes them better problem solvers, and that's why you have two-year-olds and younger that can, you know, say the alphabet, read the calendar, do these things, but not just that. With the, if whatever area they, they'll put up their things, whatever they're working on. Okay, I'll take my toys out, play with them, and then I'll put them back. They have and that, um, that works really well. It really mm-hmm. works well. And um, I, I just you know, even though I was always in the top schools and everything, I find that um, I never cared for the educational system. I, I thought I was slighted a lot. And then um, I'm in, from Philadelphia, and what the biggest thing probably was most jaw-dropping. Now, for some reason, I don't even know why, but around fifth grade they tested me, and I went in a mentally gifted program. But it, I just took, like, photography. They didn't have really, ex, you know, Excel courses. Now, photography in the suburbs was just part of a standard curriculum. Wow. That's what I took for mentally gifted. <laughs> well, when I, I got actually, in there. Mm-hmm. I actually became a gifted and talented teacher. And as a gifted and talented teacher, you get 10 kids. But I couldn't walk through 75 kids of all my color to teach, you know, 10 white kids. So I would say, you know what, you have to give me 15 of these kids. And so I started learning how to mix different groups of kids. Our kids can learn. We don't really know who's gifted. What I mean by that is there probably is something in every child that can be nurtured that will allow them to develop a skill that they alone would be the master of. Now, if they were coming to chess, that would not be my, I would not be the right mentor for them. But there are people that you meet in engineering, in technology, in math, I actually went back to school. I had a little boy in my classroom who could solve every math problem I ever gave him. I said, you know what? That means I don't know as much math as he does. But that's another thing. Our teachers are not necessarily taught content to the point where they themselves feel comfortable without the book, if you understand what I mean. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've gotten older and, you know, where I went through the 
I've been through the time where we were on paper systems and, mm-hmm. you know, businesses and had to convert and cool like University of Penn. And one time I was attending Wharton for um, a career development course while I was laid off. And um, that Wharton was at their final stage of converting from paper to computer system. And I watched women lose their jobs. And, you know, and teachers and different people, I watched people lose their jobs because they would not, <laughs> you know, even go to the computer or they felt they couldn't do the computer. They, you know, they talked themselves out of it. People that I knew, I helped them. Um, and, you know, that, that went on for a long time. I mean, that was just like when University of Penn was converting. But mm-hmm. I can tell you in 2000 and something, teachers I knew, where the school district, I guess, finally said the teachers had to get on board. And I knew teachers back in the early 90s who just, I'm not going to really get into computer stuff. Well, and I when was they, very mm-hmm. lucky. I was very lucky. I, I got a child who could not read, but I knew he was smart. Well, he couldn't write well. He He could tell you anything, but he couldn't write. And so I asked his dad, could he get him a computer? And so the father said, well, you know, that wouldn't be fair to all the rest of the kids in the classroom unless you're going to let everybody learn. Because you're just like, okay. And so this child wrote an essay and won $5,000. And so we bought computers because they weren't that expensive then for the whole class. He could have gone to Disneyland, but he didn't. So because I was doing computer stuff and nobody was telling you how you had to do it, I was able to explore using technology with people like George Lucas uh, and eventually um, Ron Brown and Larry Irving, who was at the Department of Commerce. They sort of found out that I was doing doing it with diverse kids, and they would come and see. And so I got to work with President Clinton. So you asked a question that I didn't answer at first, and that is – one of my best jobs was to work with President Clinton when we created the the policy that became the National Information Infrastructure Advisory Council, that is, how to use technology in the United States. And I've actually been all over the United States in a little truck in the back of an 18-wheeler with six computers and five fax machines and six cell phones teaching technology to parents, to community and to uh, administrators. The administrators were harder to teach (laughs) than than anybody else. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I really, you know, and I'm not sure of all school systems, but I just do know Philadelphia, like they fight, they fight, they fight, but, you know, and battle here and there, but it's like, you know, I really feel the whole school system needs to change. You know, I just... We, it was three of us when I first moved in my neighborhood. Um, a girl next door was like a year and a half younger than me. Then another girl, I think she was like my age, and she lived on a block right behind us. Another girl lived next door to me. And we just all hung together. And like I said, um, I had just moved to the neighborhood, so I just was in my first year to mentally gifted. And I was in whatever seemed the top class. And I went to a different elementary school than the other two. And then we got to middle school. Um, the girl the same age as now. We went to the same middle school, but I was in a special program within that middle school. So, you know, we were just on the top um, floor. 
and our general electives was with the regular school, but we had our own, you know, curriculums. And from there, they had magnet programs at the neighborhood school. And um, they generally prepared us to go to the neighborhood school, but I was accepted to another school, which is an all-girls school. And um, But when um, the other young lady, when she had graduated a year later, we were all just looking. And the, the neighborhood school was divided as such. If you went on to a magnet program, they had the academics, they had art and music, or you could have went to motivation. That we might have one C too many. You could have been in motivation program. If you didn't weren't in magnet or motivation, they called the rest of the school general population. Mhm. Well, I think one of the, I think I think one of the problems is that people try to divide the kids. They think kids are like yeah. cookies. You can bake them and they'll all come fourth grade, fifth grade, and actually in every class that you have. You have a mixture of students, and yes. we neglect we neglect children who have the gift. I actually taught in D.C. schools for three years. I came, I had been teaching school in Germany, and I said, you know what? I live in D.C. Why don't I teach? But it didn't work, and it didn't work because they only gave me forty dollars for supplies. I could spend that in a month, okay, in less than a month. Nobody mm-hmm. listened to me, and we only had books. In fact. I taught at Anthony Bowen School in, in D.C. We only had 11 books in the library, 11. Now, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was ridiculous, but there are schools now that don't have either a library or books, and people don't know about it because each school is different, and what people do in every school is different. So if they don't have books, like in D.C. right now, they, they've moved out all of the librarians to say they're going digital. But the problem is, it takes a little while to learn to be flexible using technology. It takes a lot of content to be able to teach physics and feel comfortable doing it. And there are people who will help, but school systems want to write their own curriculum. They don't want to use NASA. They don't want to use NOAA. They don't want to use anything from National Geographic. They believe that the vendors know, and sometimes they have good programs, but the government has programs and National Geographic has programs, and George Lucas Education Foundation has resources. But schools like to use their own, I guess, because um, vendors. You're, you're, it's about know. vendors. And Philly, I know it's about vendors. And always the friends of the friends have contracts. They got. We are one of the best. I, I know you had to hear about it nationally. Um, one of our um, um, head of the um, school board was a black woman, and they got rid of her, and it was a big thing because she had them buy her contract out. Because you know um, she had contract, and if you want me to leave, then you're going to have to buy me out. And it was a large amount. They've never done that for anyone. And but you know, it wasn't that so much? But it was the balance of her contract, and she still didn't get the full balance of it. But she got a percentage of the um, her contract. And um, but she was excellent. And once she left, and after they talked about her, destroyed her reputation, and all of that, and then they just tried to implement exactly what she did. But it's their friends that they want to be their contractors and vendors, and that's always what Philadelphia has been about. And well, it's, it's, it's been really interesting because I've actually worked in Philadelphia. I have a friend who works at Drexel. 
uh, we mm-hmm. initiated the first ISTE conference that helped to bring blacks into the technology conference um, at, uh, it was in Philadelphia. And then there's mm-hmm. a guy, Stan Pokers, I don't know if you know him. He showed me how to take old computers and to build them so kids could take home a computer. That was in Philadelphia. And actually he had conferences where he brought in people from all the universities to be mentors. But the school system doesn't do that yet. No. Well, Drexel is very um, forward. Drexel is very forward, and they do a lot of community outreach. They connect a lot of programming. Um, You know, if one time it was University of Penn, they were the leaders in outreaching and all to the um, community, but Drexel has overtaken them in their innovation and development um, of businesses and different things. But... um, you know, the school district, even though we're surrounded by so many colleges and all, it is, you you like, you hit it on the money, it's about the vendors. And the vendors, everybody is more worried about making money than the students. And, 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 well, there's, and the there's resources aren't distributed fairly because right. it depends on where you live, Absolutely. you know, the which resources you get. segregation mm-hmm. of communities. The other thing is, though, that the silos, You've got school boards, you've got school board members, you've got uh, neighborhoods, and we don't break down the silos between the universities and the colleges and the high schools. And there are now some groups that are beginning to merge and teach and share within the communities that they um, have the universities and colleges in, but it's very difficult. You know, I work in another area called supercomputing. And, you know, we use the telephones and we look at the weather every day, and we, but no one teaches the math that allows kids to think computationally. So we're still teaching math like I learned it back back in the day. I would say we're not teaching math like that. My my grandson, (laughs) he brought home a math where they added extra steps to get to the problem. I took extra credits in math. I'm a little fiend in math. So, you know, I kept going over it because, you know, I'm trying to help him, but I'm having a hard time. We're going through this. I'm like, there are additional steps. I'm like, math objective is always to simplify (laughs) You know, to break it down, and why are we adding additional steps? And I asked the teacher, she said, I don't know. I'm like, well, what is it? She said, I don't know. There's some new stuff they gave us. I mean, they just, oh, my gosh, their attitudes and all. But now one thing I can say, if you are getting good grades, because you don't have to be smart, but if if you have good grades in Philadelphia, you got a lot more options open to you. And then after I left, graduated, the charter schools came, which they have a little bit more autonomy, and there are a lot of them are a lot more creative. It's just not, it's not as many of them, but they have much more success models in the charter schools because they're not tied down to the you know standard well, schools. Well, they don't they don't have to be tested. That's the main reason. And actually. Charter school, I, I, I work with a charter school in Tracy, California, and we have very high scores. But in Washington, D.C., the charter schools, they're about the same as the regular schools. And that might be because Congress has charge of them, and the funding depends on what the Congress gives them. But I've actually tried to work with a few charter schools 
And again, it can be a business. Someone who wants to has an idea that may or may not work out. But like the one in Tracy, we do innovative learning and we individualize for students. And we also in the Tracy School in, in Tracy, California, we we uh, have an all day day. And when they go home, they don't have homework, but they go a month longer. So yeah. That's well. All I mean, all charter schools, I won't say, are great in Philadelphia, but a lot of them are. And that's mm-hmm. because they have more, um, you know, they have autonomy over the curriculum. And right. they, they don't have to teach, you know. Um, the charter schools where the kids excel, one, they, they have physical activities, <laughs> which they, you know, took out of the schools. You know, they have a gym. They teach more than one language. Um there's creativity, you know, everyone is not always so stagnant, you know, learning mm-hmm. is different. So whether it's African-centered, you know, um, a lot of them just do well. And, of course, all of them don't perform well, but then um, a lot of them do. And then they started these schools. Honestly, these schools started right after I graduated, the same year I graduated mm-hmm. matter of fact. But they started these rounds of, these are regular schools, but they're specialty schools as far as um, just different um, fields. So if it's farm business and exchange, um, you have engineering, architecture. So if you have a specific interest, not just the um, performing arts, they started creating all these other, you know, interest-focused schools. And like I said, if you get good grades, you have so much more choice. I'm at the school I went to was great because I had good grades. You had to have certain grades to get accepted in. And, be you know, also because it was all girls, we had more freedom. So, and honestly, I was considered, I was the dummy of the group. I only had like a, I think I had a high B average, you know. But in 11th grade, you know, people were taking, we were taking finite mathematics, and those people were, most of them were also on Calc 1. So I was slow because I was just on, um, um, whatever the standard math course was, I was taking finite as an extra course. So, okay, well, but you can't teach what you you can't you can't demonstrate what you don't know. And I, I want to tell you that I took children who are immigrants who don't speak mm-hmm. English very well, uh, who were Vietnamese, who were some who were Vietnamese, some who were Hispanic, some who were black. These were the kids that nobody wanted. And one year, a principal decided to punish me because I was using technology. He said, oh, you use technology. See if you can do something with these kids. They took the top off of the test. But what I did was I taught them games first. There are lots of educational games, and they would make really high score in games. And so I said, you know what? If you can make a high score on that game, you can do this other math. And they said, what are you talking about? Because a lot of kids don't really think they like math, but there are games where you have to do things to get points and to do things, and they want to win. So these kids ended up testing at 11th grade. This was fifth grade, okay? Mm-hmm. And so the the principal said, you cheated. I said, no, I didn't cheat. And the kids heard her say that. So they actually tested the kids over, and they scored higher. They, <laughs> they scored because they were so angry. That, yes. That, that, you know? And and that's what I'm saying. I, that's the one thing is it's great to have these schools, and and it's great to reward if you have good grades. I'm not necessarily saying that, but I just feel because everyone's not taught well, 
and reference points mean everything. If you have a Vietnamese and you have a, a, a African American child, and then you have somebody, you know, what they call Northeast Philly, there's three different cultures. Absolutely. And somewhere, our reference point of references have to be the same for us all to understand what we're talking about. It's not one is ignorant or less or not smart. Then we don't know your reference points. Right. Absolutely. So when you, you know. Um, so it's just really how refined you are, you know, to reference points. And, it, you know, it's just um, like the teachers are always saw that were the best. They treated students like human beings. They didn't treat that's them the as... Most, that's the most important. The most important thing is to know the students, is get to know them, for them to get to know you. I used to spend about two weeks the first year of school trying to learn who the kids were, see what they knew, read books with, you know what I mean, making, bridging the culture gap with kids. But, you know, I spent some time in Philadelphia on a bus. I don't remember who the congressman was, um, but I, I had, a, had a bus. Huh? Was it Shaka Fatah? Was it with yes. technology on the bus? Yeah, that was Shaka Fatah. Yes, uh-huh. I taught on that bus for a week. It was the most fun I've ever had in my life. And I felt so bad on the last day when the little girl said, when the little girl said, if I had $100 million, I, w- I would make this bus stay at my school forever. It was a fabulous <laughs> project. Uh, and what well, we I'm going to tell you about we... that congressman. It's Congressman oh, okay. Shaka His mother mm-hmm. is Queen Mother Falaka Fatah, and she oh. founded the House of Umoja which was recognized by three presidents, they actually literally um, helped young people stop gang warfare here back in 74, and he grew up under that. So his mother was an activist, and what happened, she found out one of her sons, She they, out of the Black Power Conference movement, she was in charge of communications, and she started a magazine called The House Humosia. They were reporting on gang violence in Philadelphia and found out one of her sons was in a gang. She couldn't find, she searched around to try to find help, and she couldn't find anything. So she asked her husband, because she moved the gang into the home. Since her really? son felt he wow. needed to be with them, she moved the entire gang into her home. They had to, And that gang came from South Philly, and they were in West Philly, so they had to negotiate safe passage mm-hmm. for them to be able to go back and forth to school. They had to set up rules, because now they had a regular house with like 15 people in it and so they had to you know set up rules and you know she had them you know be part of the rules and um that was a thing they come together once a week it was called a Della. it was this whole system set up and she's very african-centered and um so from them working out their problems and negotiating they um it took a couple years and all going to the men in prison, but they got, um, did a whole gang summit here, and they got the young people to sign a pledge. And because they signed the pledge and kept their word, they virtually ended gang warfare. Oh, that's and, fabulous. Mm. And that's how he grew up. And education is one of his major things. So he's not... He was one of the youngest people to run. People said Shaka Fatah, first of all, that name... Can you imagine him even winning an election <laughs> at that time? So, mm-hmm. and he was—he ran when he was first like twenty. He was very young. So, um, 
so he's a he's an out of the box thinker, but he got us the um Microsoft School of the Future, Shaka got it here. He's just done a lot of things, but education is his big, big thing. Education oh, is his main focus. To be on that bus. That's that's the most fabulous I, I worked on the bus from the White House, the one that we took all over the United States. It was not equipped like that one was. That was fabulous. Uh, I worry about the kids who are in areas where parents really can't do much uh, in technology because they don't have broadband. They don't have a place where they can go to do, uh, even here in Virginia, in, in Alexandria, in Arlington, the kids who live in the poor neighborhoods, they have to go to the library. Is that mm-hmm. a problem in other cities? I think it is. Oh, that's standard, yeah. If you, I mean, you have to be able to afford it. I mean, I'm struggling, <laughs> you know, affording between cable, your phone, and all. That's almost a $200 bill a month, and, you know. And I probably would do without cable, but I have a mother, um, you know, that's uh, older, and so she wants something to watch. But, you know, even I, I did, even when I was doing our cable, I was still, between the phone and all, still about almost paying $100 a month. And everyone can't afford that. Uh, you well, know. what about that Comcast project, Internet Essentials? Is that well, thing? yeah, that's new. You know, that's about a, a year or so. So, you know, that's coming about. And, you know, that's part of the urban tech fear for the, us to make sure more people are aware of. Well, I've got, and I've got then the else. other thing is to attach. You know, you know what Google did? Google is selling a computer for $99. I think I posted it. Until okay. the nineteenth of January or this month. This month, this month. It's on. Okay. The, I posted it, and in fact, they just put out a whole bunch of new programs. Vince Surf was on the National Information Infrastructure Advisory Council, and he worries about the fact that a lot of people don't have access to a computer that they can use. So they he don't. Convinced them Most of them are to, using their phones. Right, in the poor and, and that's so little for me. I'm old, okay? I'm like, where is this thing? But uh, it, mm-hmm. the iPads, the tablets, I think they'll all change the way we teach and learn. But you can't change it if you don't have access, and you can't change it if you don't have a computer. And if you don't have mm-hmm. a program that allows you to learn. I, I was in a program here in Washington, and they were saying, oh, we're going to teach people in the neighborhood with Drupal. I'm like, what? <laughs> you can't start mm-hmm. that high. You have to start with letting people be familiar with the technology to learn whatever it is they want to know. How to pay yeah, bills, you have, how it to has to be a job. reference point. You know, right. that's where right. I think sometimes we get a, a gap. Like sometimes there are techie people, and we have a lot of classism is coming. Classism is really starting to rear its head these Absolutely. days. And, you know, they think less than a certain people, but the point is, you know, that's the biggest battle is making it relevant to the people why I should go through here. You know, I got these bills. Why should I really? And you have to make the relevance. If I could show you, well, if you're spending this much here, if you get a computer, even though you're investing here, this is how you can increase your income. Right. This is right. how you can reduce your workload. You only got so have much time ever, in a day. Have you ever met my friend, Dr. Jesse Bimley? We go, he has the only supercomputing lab in a neighborhood in Washington, D.C. He has more power in his computer center than some universities do. And that's what he, a lot of the BDPA chapters have people who are mentors for kids. 
I don't know how all of them work. I just know how Dr. Bimley does. And and we do after-school programs or Saturday programs because if the schools don't do it, someone has to do it. We can't we can't let another generation slip and fall. We need to do whatever we can to make this happen, to make it change, to make it possible so that our kids know what the tech. They don't have to be computer scientists, but they do need to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk. Yes, and 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 there also needs to be a relevancy. We would, you know, you know, just show where it's relevant. Because sometimes we're just, you know, if I go to everyone and talk about, well, you know, I'm going to take this word problem and I am going to convert this. Let me say, okay, if I do a formula, if I just say, you know, um, if um, a two. Um, A2 to A5, if I take that and add that together and then I multiply that by 4.52, and if I take that and then if that equals this or less, then, you know, people are going to start looking at me like, what? But if I go to them like, look, any word problem we have, and we can convert this into like some kind of uh, a math equation, and we, we break everything down, you know, step by step, and then... We take that and we can find some program or something that can convert it. And we can make ourselves our own computer program instead of us having to do the work. The computer does all the work. It's just like when you, when I had to teach my grandson math, for some reason, he got stuck on phonics, then he got past that. Then he got stuck on um, multiplication. He would not memorize it. I don't know why. But he always did understand that four times nine meant four groups of nine or either nine groups of four. So you can, you know, you find a way a person learn, and you can basically break it down if you make it relevant. Absolutely, absolutely. Because you know everything comes down to concepts. It's not that big thing. So if you, when you and that's what's great about math. Math actually breaks things down to the simplest form, and you just have to make it relevant. And you, you know, I remember, and even though I was good at math, when I got my finite mathematics class on. Mentally gifted, that man started talking about X approaching zero, and it's never, no, delta approaching zero, but it's never actually getting there. I'm like, well, where the heck is it going? This man was just talking to the board. Let me tell you a secret. (laughs) Let me tell you a secret about math and about education. You know, in fashion, you have this year's clothes. In In math and science, you have this year's group of people who, for the moment, are the ones making a program. It took me about four years to figure that out when I was teaching, that I had to find what I wanted to teach and how to teach using what I knew because in education, the vendors move it a little bit, but so do the professors. So you got professors, you got vendors, and then you have school board members who may know and who may not know who have some favorite things that they do. Math is really, really important. And but now, if, if, like I like to tell young people, find, mm-hmm. reach out and ask. Because what I did, I was lost, and I failed my first test ever. I was 11th grade, really? and that's the first time I ever felt failed really? the test in math. I was oh, a math geek. And, so, uh, like, and, and it was, we only had four questions, so <laughs> I only took it in one wrong to basically fail it. But, um, so I think I got two wrong, and that made me fail. So, what happened though, my advisor happened to be my Algebra 2 teacher. And it was mm-hmm. independent study, because after they said, y'all just go on independent study. 
you know, because we're mentally gifted to figure we could just do that. Well, I went to him, and my algebra 2 teacher showed me how easy and simple that was. And that class in 11th grade carried me through the first year of college. My business math was nothing but that finite mathematics. I knew permutations, I knew all of that. That stuff was nothing to me. But it was my Algebra 2 teacher who showed me how simple it was. But, again, that professor, the way he spoke, I couldn't understand it. I took a course like that in physics. The first time I took physics, I went out of the room and I thought, I'm in the wrong place. I don't understand anything. But I got a fifth grade book, then I got a high school book, and I I taught it to myself. And then the next time I took physics, I had a professor that I understood very well. You were talking about math. The Federal Trade Commission has a program that kids like. It's called You Are Here, Meet Us at the Mall, and it's ftc.gov slash you are here. And the kids actually go to the mall and buy things. It's sort of like a math, you know, real-life math kind of thing. But then okay. I, have this, I have this friend who's a physicist. His name is Dr. Um, uh, Panoff. And he has a website that is shodor.org, S-H-O-D-O-R.org. And he has a project on there called Interactivate, where a child can teach themselves algebra, because a lot of teachers don't know how to teach it. The first time mm-hmm. I did algebra, I just memorized the stuff because I'm like, I don't know how this works, but if I memorize it, I got it. You don't have it. You need to understand what the algorithm is. Well, Dr. Panoff actually has a center in uh, in. North Carolina, where he actually has interns, kids who are of color and everything else, who come in and learn how to do the math, how to do programs. It's H-O-D-O-R.org. Look at it's fabulous. Would you say H? Say it again. Shodor. S H O D O R. Dot O R G. And okay. his name, he got. It's called Shodor because he's. Short, he said he's short and dorky, and that's how kids remember him. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he's a physicist, and he's so fascinating. I mean, he has these things on there like you can start a fire, and then you can figure out by the data how the fire is going to burn or the rabbits versus the the grass, when you're going to run out of grass and why does that work. And it's sort of like a game, but it actually isn't. It's probability. And okay. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. It's fun. And and that's and I think that's a lot of what's needed. I I I really only sometimes I felt I wasn't a good teacher, but I had to do certain things when you know like I raised my grandson, and um, you know he had special you know needs and challenges. He's extremely smart, but um, you know he just. Um, you know, the fact that we had to raise him, you know, he, you know, whatever had his challenges. And you, you know, you had to find a way. And that's when I realized everybody doesn't learn the same, what may seem simple to you, people just see it. But I think the biggest thing I learned in helping people, because even when I went on my jobs, because I kind of taught myself software, I, I had a little programming background. My jobs are always have me, IT would send people to me for software issues. <laughs> I always had to explain to people, but I realized 
especially when I was at that point watching people converting over, that people talk themselves. They tell themselves, I can't do something. And once they have that in their head, you know, I don't understand this. Math is hard. And young people actually hear this a lot from adults around them. Yeah, I was never good at math. Math is hard. People don't, I don't think sometimes we don't understand our, um, the words we use in the conversations we have. So you, by the time you get someone five or six years old, if they don't understand they struggle, they figure math is hard. Not that I just don't understand this for a moment. Let me just figure this out. And um, a lot of times it's just... Most of the time, if you can remove the fear that, you know, I don't know this and I can't learn it, or it's hard. Well, well, and one of the problems is a lot of people are teaching with their hand in the back of the book. That is, the answers are in the back. And I remember I was teaching, it was my third year in teaching, and a child was multiplying and dividing a different way, and somebody said, oh, no, they can't do it that way. We have to do it the Arlington way. And I'm like, what is the Arlington way? Well, in our school system, there was the way that we taught according to the book we were using. And I was supposed to tell this child he couldn't divide that way or multiply that way, and I didn't do it. <laughs> I just said this is one way and here's another way. And I think the problem is is that when we teach teachers to learn how to teach math, we don't necessarily always involve them in the most rich kind of environment for learning. And so they don't really know it. They know what the book is. And technology will change that a lot. And programs like that, showdoor.org and the uh, Federal Trade Commission has a lot of programs like Living Life Online where you learn how to be a digital citizen. And you know what? You don't even really – there's a thing called Cuisinaire. There were little blocks. And my principal came and said, why are you using these little blocks? Well, Cuisinaire rods are a math system that is a visual system. You can put 36 out in seven different ways. But if you don't know that, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. you would have to know that there are ways to do And then there are things called tessellations. You know, our kids are really smart. If you ever watch them play games – they will play the game until you have to say, I'm going, my cat is hungry, I'm hungry. And they say, well, just let me play it one more time. Because in the game, you know whether you know it or not. You don't wait till the next day when the teacher corrects the paper. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So some of the, the, the what we call visualization and modeling things that are online really help kids to get math. Yeah, and, and I'll, I I can't play hardly any of the games. You know, I don't have the patience or all of that. They get to levels. You know, I'll, I'll give it to them. They can, they can really handle well, that. I, I had a little boy who was in a shelter who came to me every day from the shelter. He had to put all his clothes away by 10 o'clock or something. I don't know. And he didn't want to go home. But he was so smart. God, he, he learned every computer game I had. I had to stay at home myself to learn the games because I had to figure out how can he do this? And that's the kid that I tell him, I said, you know what? You, you can read this book, you can do this math, you can do this project because you know how to play games better than I do. And he said, I do? I said, yeah. And so I showed him. But sometimes we have to have partners. Um, there's a guy named Mark Prinsky who talked about digital natives and digital citizens. Nobody grows up digital totally. But there are some mm-hmm. people who've been exposed, and our kids aren't getting the exposure that they yes. need to science, 
engineering, technology, and math. Yeah. And, our and, yeah, are, and I think we need to, you know, even, you know, continue to teach things relevant. I think some right. stuff we do when they're very little, but we don't, it's just like learning to breathe. When when a baby actually is born, the baby breathes correctly. They actually blow their nose correctly. We reteach them instead of breathing from their stomach where they get the most air and can fill their diaphragm, we teach them how to breathe from their chest. We teach them the way we teach them to blow their nose pushes the air out to the ears and you wonder why they get ear infections instead of those short little bursts. You know how a little kid goes, <laughs> they do those short little bursts. You say, no, no, blow it. But they're actually blowing their nose properly, and we reteach them. And it's just little things. Just like when I remember my grandson one day we were around. He figured out, he counted, he figured out how to lay, set up the table. We were doing stuff, but he decided he would set up the table. I think it was three or four. But and he didn't count everybody. He didn't sit there. Okay, it's this many people. But what he did, he took each thing and said, "This is for so and so. This is for so and so. This is for so and so." So he made sure it was a chair for each person. Then he went and got a fork for each person. Then he went and got a net, whatever was needed. But he wound up getting it for each person. And you're watching this little person figure out and literally count out and set a plate for every a place for everybody. You know, one to sometimes, one. That's what doing. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes we just make life so complicated, and sometimes it can just really be that simple. And I think, well, like, and the mythology you take by getting to know your students, um, like I said, the ones that I've always seen excel and those special teachers, they treat them like they're human beings. Not baby them, but they treat them like human beings. It's my grandson's you know, second grade. I, Go ahead. There are organizations that help kids to feel like they're important. When I was teaching uh, with NASA, there's a thing called the Horsehead Nebula. It's a certain cluster up in the galaxy. And we knew about it six months before it came out in Time magazine. You should have seen those kids when it finally came out in the magazine. And they said, oh, we knew this. See, the the thing is to empower them. And so, like, I don't have a grandson, but I have a, a niece and a nephew, and I read I Love You, Honey Bunny, 20 times during Thanksgiving. And I have a grandson. We went to Rome, and this is museums. There are museums where you get to play and do things with all kinds of – it's not about just reading. It's about experiencing and doing Mm -hmm. things after school and going to museums and reading books. And even if you don't have to read the book 20 times, after a while, the little child will take your hand and push it aside and say, I can read it. Let me read it. That's, oh, that's they love repetition. Want. Oh, my gosh, they love repetition. They will read the book a hundred times, and they do read it. And they sometimes like to just hear <laughs> you read it. But the best museums, I think, of Philadelphia, and then that sometimes we get into our rural areas because I went to college in the rural areas, and that's what I miss. But I know um, – when I was growing up, it was the Franklin Institute, which is still one of the most phenomenal museums. You can walk through the heart. You know, you just get to touch and experience everything. But there wasn't nothing until when my grandson and them were little. They built in Philadelphia called the Please Touch Museum. Now, the kids, you would pay for the kids and adults could get in free because everything was meant for them. And they could touch it, everything. My granddaughter well, would go in there every love. time and try to eat the fruit. 
and kept trying to tell me Andy is plastic. All the boys went for the scepter bus because they had a big bus in there, and they would drive the bus just like they were on there. It just was life simulation. Whatever they saw from kitchens to stores to the buses, just a simulation of the whole city. But they get to touch everything, animals, everything, and they can touch. It's called the Please Touch Museum. And... um that's one of the biggest things that we're doing with the Urban Tech Fair is going to our family day is mm-hmm. we're going to call it STEM Day because the parents need to be just in t- as much in touch with it as the kids so that they can support it. And we're going to be asking our museums and all across the country, wherever we have it, to, if they can get free passes, day passes, so the families can actually start going out to these places. We got natural science museum, history museums. We have all of these things, and you know, and and, and young people like it because you know they no longer take them on trips. And you know, when right, I was young, we went the to these places. You're right. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Tamara they don't. Calloway's mm-hmm. Tad Calloway's daughter was my principal, and mm. she was uh, a person who wanted kids to know about museums, to know about art museums, to go to museums and do things. And for one thing was she would invite the um, artists to bring their paintings and put them in the library so kids could take them home uh, for a week in their home. Mm. But uh, we also, um, I went to a museum in Rome with my grandson who lives in Italy, and it it was the most tiring experience I've ever had, but it's all about what you were talking about. They were planning things. They were trying to milk a cow. They were trying to cook. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, those are, well, um, just those are direct skills that we all need and can use. And um, Bonnie has dropped, but everyone, it was just a wonderful conversation on education. Um, you know, the moral of the story is, you know, we need to educate. STEM is extremely important, and STEM is an acronym, if you did not know, for science, technology, engineering, and math. And we're talking about demystifying STEM, so it doesn't have to be this big, huge thing. Um, our children are capable, and it's basically finding any means necessary, using any means necessary to teach, to learn, to show. We cannot just solely just depend on our schools. They may or may not get it. You may have to demand more, but it's other things you can do outside of schools and different ways to engage and empower your children. If you just come over to Facebook to the Urban Tech Fair, um, Bonnie posts, oh, so many resources. Bonnie Bracey Sutton. Also, you can find her at the Power of Us at www.powerofus.org. And just go to the website, connect with her. She posts so many resources in so many areas, resources for parents, for teachers, for students, places you can get education for free no matter what your age, whether you're from kindergarten through adults. There are places that you can actually get free education online from Ivy League schools. Um, There are just a lot of opportunities in education. Um, Here's Bonnie coming back before we close out. And I yes. do want um I just want to remind everyone that Bonnie said we have until the nineteenth. Today is the sixteenth. So we have three days left. The where Google is selling computers for ninety nine dollars. 
If you want to give someone a gift, if you want to help someone out, get them a computer, maybe a computer over an Xbox, maybe a computer over the latest fly gear, maybe a computer or a book over something else. But if you can afford $99, if you need it, um, get yourself a computer. So um, Google, we probably have to Google Google to find out. And probably if you Google Bonnie Bracey. <laughs> we po- I posted it in Urban Tech uh, on the website, so they should be able to find it there. Yeah, and Facebook. They yeah. can do that. They can talk to whatever the provider is of cable about their initiative because Julius Janikowski, who is the FCC commissioner, has a he is, is it, it, he thinks that cell phones are going to make it. I don't think so. They're going to change the digital divide. But the equal access program, there are equal access programs in a lot of communities. Yes. And um, so the um, they're definitely um, equal access. So you do need to check to find out, you know, within your community, and again, if you want to, um, if you have questions and if you feel like you have a hard time finding out online, you can reach out to the Urban Tech Fair at one eight seven seven five five two seven zero one two. Again, it's toll free at one eight seven seven five five two seven zero one two. You can contact me at extension one 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 four ones one 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 one. And, um, and I, I'll do email. Hey, go ahead. I'll, I'll do email um, because I'm all around in different places a lot, but they can contact me at bbracey, B-B-R-A-C-E-Y at AOL.com if yes. you have questions. Yeah, so if you have questions or, you know, you want to find out, so just, you know, send it off and, again, I probably won't know everything. I can help you find it, though, and help ask questions. But if you're just having a hard time and you really want to know. But other than that, definitely um, check it out. Like I said, check out Bonnie at The Power of Us, and that's www.thepowerofus.org, O-R-G. And, Bonnie, you know, um, close us out. Well, I just want to say that, Science, technology, engineering, and math have been around for a long time. We're talking about them now because a lot of the other ways in which we learn to make money have disappeared, and the ways in which we learn to learn have changed. So take a look. Let's transform and let's be a part of the future by helping the kids to do science, engineering, technology, and math, and the arts Need a little little of the museums in there, too. Okay? Yes, yes. So I thank you so much, Bonnie. Um, thank you. Yes, I'm letting everyone know you just have, what we heard today was just like a tiny tip of the iceberg. Well, then you can go to your site. All that stuff, we, we all of us yes. collaborate together. And you can see all those little things where we bring things together. And thank you for being a part of our audience, those of you who are listening. Next time we want to hear some questions from you. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Definitely. Well, one good thing, it's, it's archived, so the show will go on and on and on, and people okay. can still hear the information. So, okay. Bonnie, I thank, thank you, you so much, and we have to thank give you. a big congratulations, Bonnie, to Jim. Jim and Candy renewed their vows today. That's why he's oh, not Jim. here. 
Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. That's so congratulations, Jim. Oh. Jim and Candy, congratulations. So. Okay. All righty. You have a great holiday. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's. And Thank again, you. check us out at urbantechfair.org, everyone. Peace. Okay. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.